and welcome to another great message from Mr. Christian Outreach Church. We pray you'll be inspired and equipped by this teaching. For more information on Noosa Christian Outreach Church, please check out our website at noosacoc.org.au. Enjoy. When you turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. From verse 24 to 27. Sad to see the Sheridans leaving us. Great, great for, for, uh, for where they're going, but very sad for us. We'll miss you guys. And uh, we pray every blessing on you. Hey, what an amazing trip they're going to have. Anyone looking forward to the Olympic Games in Rio? I tell you, there's like three people fantastic. The, uh, my, fa- my favourite event at the Olympic Games probably would have to be the 100 metre final sprint. I'm guessing it's probably a lot of people's favourite event. I mean, to be the, the fastest person on the planet. Just a phenomenal thing, isn't it? It's a phenomenal um, medal to have on the wall. I got a medal from the Noosa Triathlon last year, 2560th I came. And uh, not quite the fastest man on earth, but hey, it- You've got to be there. You've got to be in it, don't you? Uh, verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. But, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not with one who beats the air, but I have disciplined my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. You sometimes feel like you know you've, you've you've made this commitment to God, you, you, yet yet there's there's you're not necessarily walking in freedom. You're not necessarily experiencing you know those great promises that the Bible talks about. You're, you're not necessarily you know feeling overly confident. You know you, you, you kind of feel like you there's there's a bit of an uncertainty in your faith. Feel like maybe your faith is not answering those questions that you were hoping it was going to answer. It's not solving those problems you were hoping it was going to solve. It feels like sometimes that your prayers are not necessarily getting through. If your prayer is like a punch, it feels like you're almost punching the air, as the Apostle Paul said. You ever feel like that? That sometimes your, your faith is, you know, you've made this commitment, yet your life is not kind of panning out as you thought it would based on the hope of that step of faith you made in the direction of Christ. feel like you say, I'm saved, but I'm not necessarily winning. You know, that's why I love the, I love the Olympic Games. You know, I, I, I think that, um, you know, the, the, there's, there's a real, there's closure there. You know what I mean? Someone enters a race, they go in the race and someone wins, done. You know what I mean? Sometimes it feels like in our faith, we enter this race of life with God, but we just don't even know whether we're in front, whether we're behind. You're looking around, am I meant to compare myself to everyone else? What? And, and there's, this, there's this uncertainty in, in where we're going. 
And one of the greatest events, you know, um, I saw on the Olympics was in, in 1988 when this amazing Jamaican-born um, Canadian by the name of Ben Johnson ran the 100-metre sprint in Seoul. And uh, he, he broke, he smashed the world record. He ran nine minutes, 79 or something like that. And uh, interestingly, only a year before, he was running 10 seconds 22 and then a year later he was running nine seconds 79 and uh anyway he won that and for three days you know they played that footage non-stop for three days because the best thing was you beat all the americans the Can- a canadian beating an american is like a new zealander beating an australian <laughs> barry happens all the time barry reckons yet three days later it was discovered that he was uh, enhanced by something other than natural talent and training. He was enhanced by some, some drug that, in, that, that strengthened him beyond what was legal so that when he broke the record and won the race, it wasn't a real win. His, his celebration was amazing for three days and then it all come crashing down. And then there's another runner in 1924. You see, Ben Johnson, he wasn't the fastest man in the world, but he won the race. But he wasn't the fastest man in the world based on his talent and training. He was the assisted fastest man in the world. And there was another guy who we know from the great movie Chariots of Fire, Eric Liddell in 1924, who probably was the fastest man in the world, yet he didn't run. He didn't run. He didn't run because it was on a Sunday and he believed that it was against his faith, against his, him honouring God, so he didn't run. One man, the fastest in the world, yet he didn't run because he felt that it would conflict for a greater reason that he had for running. He said, I run because I believe it brings joy to God. He says, for some reason, God has given me the gift of speed. So I run because it, I feel God's joy when I run. So when something challenged that, when something challenged him bringing joy to God, then he couldn't run. You see, he was in a race. They were both in the same race, these guys. But they were also in another race that was a very different race. Both men had the same short-term goal, to be the fastest man on earth. But both men had very different life goals. So when the pressure came on in the short-term goal, the life goal reared up. When the pressure came on, Ben Johnson, who 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 was very fast but not fast enough, the integrity of his life goals came into being and he took drugs and, and, and won the race. For Eric Liddell, when the, pressure came on, f- when the pressure came on to win the race, he knew he probably was the fastest man on earth. He didn't run because his integrity said there's a bigger race than this race. Self-control. Why don't you ask the person next to you, do you have self-control? What did they say? Did they say yes? Here's my... That's, that's all, it's only a very, very short sentence. Self-control is rarely established at the point of stress. 
The point of stress is the point of challenge. The point of stress is when you're the third fastest person on the planet, yet you want to win the race. That's the point of stress. What do I do now? What do I do? It's, it's rarely established at the point of stress. When you're, when you're going through life and, and stress comes, that's not generally the time when you go, you know what, I think I need to learn a little bit about self-control. That's not when it happens. It doesn't happen, it doesn't happen when the stress comes. Self-control, it's rarely established at the point of stress, but when committing to the vision or to the goal. See, it's when you commit to trying to become the fastest man on earth that establishes the framework of your self-control. You need to get up early. You need to eat the right food. You need to, you need to run a lot. You need, to, you, know, you need to do all these different things. And you also need to operate within the rules of the race that you're in. A lot of people say that drugs should be allowed. You know, you're allowed to eat right food. Why not? You know, it's all natural. Eventually, it came out of some natural form. Let's take the drugs and let's just see how fast a person can actually go. But there's guidelines, isn't there? There's guidelines. This is in, that's not in. You're allowed to have green smoothies. You're not allowed to have steroids. You know, you, you, some things are in, some things are out to qualify you to participate in the race. So this morning, I, I, I want to um, help you in the area of self-control. M- Michael Sheridan started that so amazingly last week, uh, talking about Noah. And I encourage you, if you didn't, if you didn't get here last week, to, to download the podcast and have a listen to that one. Let's read Matthew 16, though, from verse 13. We know these verses are very famous verses when Jesus asks, Peter, who do you say that I am? So let's read those verses and, and let's see where it takes us this morning. When Jesus came, it's up on the screen if you don't have your Bible. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon answered and said, You are the Christ the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So Simon, who, we've all, who, we, who we see in this place is where he gets his new name, Peter. That's where, we, that's where we, uh, we, we've, we discover Jesus changes his name to Peter. He gets a revelation and a name change all in one moment. It's a pretty big moment for, for Simon Bar-Jonah. The definition of Simon, the definition of Simon's name is simply this. It's wavering reed. He's a wavering reed. And, and, and this was a great definition for Simon um, because, of, you know, because of who he was. He was a wavering reed. We saw that in his life. And then Jesus says, he says to him, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. In other words, no wavering reed is going to come up with that kind of amazing answer to this question. 
wavering reed. He was by definition inconsistent and tossed to and fro by every new idea. I want to submit to you this morning that when Simon first met Jesus and Jesus said to him, come follow me, that was when Simon got his first revelation. He got the revelation that I'm a wavering reed and this guy, is he is solid ground. He is solid ground, this Jesus, so I am going to follow him. So he, 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 didn't, he, he didn't necessarily have the revelation that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God, but he certainly got the revelation that he was a wavering reed and that he needed whatever this guy had to offer. Simon discovered the first level of humility when he stood before Jesus, who is truth, and gained a knowledge and appreciation of himself. You see, I want to submit to you this morning that the first revelation that we get, get is, is the revelation that we need something more. When, we, when we, you know, we get the revelation that we have a weakness in our life or there's something missing in our lives and, and that we understand that our human condition requires something more than what we can feed it ourselves, what we can implement in it ourselves. And then when we meet Jesus, we say... I don't know what's in that Jesus, but I need to follow him. I need to follow him. But do you notice how he, Simon starts to follow Jesus, but he doesn't get the name change then? He doesn't get the name change as soon as he starts following Jesus. He doesn't get that name change, and he's still this wavering reed, even though he's following Jesus. It's not until later on that Jesus gives him the name change. Do you get that connection with Peter? Do you get that connection that at some point you said, I need to follow this Jesus of Nazareth. I need to follow this, this, this Jesus of the word with this Jesus who saves, who heals, who delivers. Whatever he's got, I want, so I'm going to start following him. So he's taken. we make a decision out of faith based on something that we hope for in this guy who seems to have it all together. And then some time passes and Jesus says to his disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And Peter, Simon says those amazing words, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I want to suggest to you this morning that, that when we first meet Jesus, we meet him because we discover our own brokenness and we see that he has something for us. You notice how you can meet someone in life who's a, who, you know, you go to a business who's the supplier of some service that you need and you go to that business because you don't have what they need and they've got something to offer. So you go and you get it, but you don't necessarily know them. You just want what they've got. You just want what they've got. And I think that we do that in the early parts of our faith. The first phase of our relationship with God is that we realise that we need something that he has got. So we start to follow him. We start to look for it. We start to, we start to go, go searching for him. But then we get this next revelation. We go, hang on a second. You've got something I want. But then I get this next revelation of humility, don't I? The next revelation of humility is not that I am nothing. It's that he is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. 
See, there's two phases of humility. One's about I'm nothing and you have something I want. The second phase of humility is that you are everything and can do all things. And I don't, I don't, it's not about what I want. I just want to be a part of whatever you're doing. You see the difference? One's about God doing something for you. And the next level of humility is about, Lord, how can I be part of whatever you're doing? That's the next phase of humility. And it's when, it's when we, we, we meet Christ based on a need in our heart and we serve Christ based on the desire of his heart. And it's when we shift from us to him, that's when we get the new name change. That's when we shift from Simon to Peter because we know what Peter means. Peter means rock. Peter means rock. I don't know about you, but I want to shift from wavering reed to rock as soon as possible. Because we all know that wavering reed, you know, it loves seeing shiny things around the place, don't we? Oh, look, something shiny. Oh my gosh, look, something shiny over there. Whereas the rock says, whatever, I'm a rock. I'm a rock. As long as your relationship with God is about him supplying all your needs, you will remain a wavering reed. When your motivation for life goes from your need to his will, that's when you become the rock. It's about the next level revelation. We choose to follow Christ when we're humbled by our own weariness. And in faith we follow you know, in Hebrews, Hebrews 11, it says, you know, faith is the substance of things hoped for. So that when we actually give our life to Christ, we're actually, it's a step of faith based on something we hope for, isn't it? We're, so we, we make this step of faith into something that we hope for. And then Peter says, okay, it's interesting, our verse for this year out of 2 Peter chapter, chapter 1, he, he basically unpacks the pathway from wavering reed to rock. He unpacks the pathway from wavering reed to rock. And I know, you know, we know that we're all from time to time are wavering reeds. We're up and down, we're this way and that way, and we want to be the rock. And he's laid it out. Peter, who's the one who got the name change, is the one who gives us the pathway from the wavering reed to the rock, from the revelation that I need the Lord to the revelation that the Lord is mighty and I want to get on board with whatever he's doing. And he says, doesn't he? He says in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, Now you must, with all diligence, add to your faith. The first step to go from wavering reed to rock is to, to add to your faith. Isn't it great when you're immovable? And someone brings out the Tim Tams or the chocolate cake. You are immovable. I... I um, I must have mentioned the, uh, uh, the concept of the, the, the carrot sticks and the Tim Tams a little while ago and we had a leaders meeting that night and Nathan Searle brought to the leaders meeting a beautiful plate with Tim Tams around the edge and uh, carrot sticks in the middle. And uh, there was plenty of carrot sticks left at the end of the night. So, you know, the church is in good hands with your senior leadership. They're rocks. Yes. We begin... We make a step of faith based on hope. Then we add the blocks. 
then we add the building blocks. And Peter, so magnificently here, gives us those building blocks, doesn't he? Block one, we add virtue. We understand that in Christ we are a new creation. We're no longer trying to stop being our old creation. We, virtue is recognising that you're a new creation. You're recognising that in Christ, these, this is who I am. It's not about trying to behave yourself. It's about recognising who you are in Christ. If you spend your whole life trying to, to behave, you know, this is what happens. We, we can end up with a church full of boring, behaving Christians because their goal is to behave. Their goal is not to do something with the king of all kings. Virtue is not behaving yourself. Virtue is recognizing who you are in Christ and then setting some amazing goals and becoming the fastest man on earth with him. Block two, knowledge. We, I'm ripping through these because we've done series on them. Block two is knowledge. Isn't it interesting that Peter gained a revelation knowledge of who the king of all kings was? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And when he gained that knowledge, he went up, didn't he? He shifted from being wavering reed to the rock. He shifted, didn't he? He went up a notch through the revelation. So our goal for knowledge is, is not so much about data, it's about, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory, Lord. Then, and only then, is it safe to add the next block of self-control. If you try to add self-control before you had, had, had knowledge of who Christ is, you're going to get caught in this battle of effort. You know, who got, you know so we're going to get caught and you're going to go, what, what areas do I need self-control in? You know, is, is there a list where I you know, do all the, you know, the good things, do these good things and avoid those evil things? Is that self-control? I don't think so. Here's our definition for self-control. Self-control, moderating, or harnessing desire, emotion, and action according to the pursuit of a goal. Self-control outside of a goal is fruitless. I can, I can, I can eat the right food. I can, I, can, um, I can practice running all day, every day. I can do all these sort of things. But unless I'm entered into a race, unless I'm actually on a goal, then all of that self-control is a waste of time. We don't need a church full of people who, who are the best behaved people in Australia who, who, but aren't headed anywhere because your self-control is wasted on each other. Don't waste your self-control on each other. You need to get into the purpose of God because that's where the power of self-control comes from. That's the definer of what you need to have self-control in. If I'm going to be in a running race, there's no point in me learning how to swim to make me faster at running. See, I don't need self-control when I'm swimming to become a, a, a runner, do I? I actually need to focus on the areas of self-control according to the race that I'm in. And this is the significant thing. We come into church and the first thing is, these are all the things you're not allowed to do. These are all the things that you must do. And you know what? Probably all of them are reasonably on the money. They're probably correct, all of the things. But... Outside of, the, of, outside of a direct goal in relationship with God, those things are just a burden on you. They're not opening the door to you winning a race. They're just a burden on your life. And God says, you know, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Why are they light? Because our eyes are on the prize. Our eyes are on the prize. Our eyes are on the goal, the upward call of the goal. Self-control is directly related to the race or the vision or the goal that you're in. It's less about what you're controlling and more about where you're headed. It's great to have self-control, but in reality, how is your self-control helping you in the direction that you're headed? Was Paul's goal to have self-control or was it to run the race in a way that he might win? You see, he said, I buffet my body, I discipline my body daily so that I don't become disqualified from the race. He says, it's not actually about, it's not actually about the, being tough on myself, it's about becoming who I need to become so that I can be in this race that God's called me to be in. The question for you is, what's your race? I think one of the reasons that young, young people like myself, when we go through those teenage years in church life, we rebel because we, don't, we know about the church, we know the behavioural things that we've got to do in church, but we don't have a goal, we don't know where we're headed, there's no purpose attached to the things that we've been asked to have self-control in. We need families and churches that are on an adventure in a direction somewhere so that it puts the self-control into context. So how do we add it? The most simple, the simplest solution to gaining self-control is in life is to make sure that you're headed somewhere. Where are you headed? Are you headed to church? Great, that's fantastic. Where are you headed in life? Where is your family headed? Where is your business headed? You know, where are you headed in the long run? Because we've got short-term goals and long-term goals. I want to give you our long-term goal because it's set out in, in, in the Word. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Ready? Here's your, here's your major goal in life. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Great. There it is. There's the big goal. So when you're choosing your little goals in life about where you're going with, with your business, your family, your running races, whatever it is, they, do they submit to the bigger goal? Are you going to be, when, when it comes to you going to the next level, you're going to be an Eric Riddell, Liddell or you're going to be a Ben Johnson? Because guaranteed for you to get to the next level in the short term, opportunities always come for you to take a shortcut. And that's there is the area where self-control is tested. It's tested under stress, under pressure when someone comes to you and says, hey, I know a shortcut. I know a shortcut. I was, out, I was heading out to, to do a session for... Um, for Chad Munro, Chad and Becky Munro at, um, at their provision, provision team day. And uh, it was out in, out at Living Valley, with Living Valley Springs Health Retreat, which I'd never been before. And so I plugged it into the GPS in my car. And uh, the car said quickest route, or no, shortest route or quickest route. Anyway, so I said shortest route. So I clicked shortest route. Anyway, it's, it's you know, 20 minutes before, um, before I'm meant to be there. And I'm driving, all of a sudden I've gone off-road and I'm on this little track. Someone's nodding like they've been on the same track. Anyway, I'm in, I've got a Jeep, Cherokee, never, never had it off-road, so I don't even know whether it goes off-road or not. But um, Anyway, 
it does. And I'm off road, and all of a sudden, I'm in a road, and it says, oh, two kilometres to destination or something like that. And I'm going, okay, well, it must be just over there. Anyway, two kilometres, you know, there's ruts off the road. I have to get out of the car and pull trees off the road, and I'm going up this steep hill. I'm doing river crossings, all of this sort of stuff. And I go, I don't know whether I should keep going or go back. The shortcut, you know, sounded like a good idea at the time. But when I got there, my car's filthy and it's covered in scratches and, and, I, had to, and I got to this gate at the other end and I could, all, I could see the road that the Living Valley was on. I could see the road, but there's a gate there. And I was just praying that the gate wasn't locked. And it wasn't. And I got through and ended up in some quarry and some guy, some guy pointed me in the right direction. Isn't it interesting? Self-control, you know, gets tempted by shortcuts, doesn't it? You know, God, he, he, God can do all things with his power, but sometimes he allows things to go through that he could quite easily solve with his power because he wants you to walk through discipleship. You see, the reality of going from wavering reed to rock is to become a disciple of Christ. It's as we become disciples, I love what... Um, Denzel Washington says in, in one of his movies, he says to, to little Dakota Fanning who's, who's learning to swim, she says, oh, I'm just not strong. He says, it's not strong or weak. There's trained or untrained. There's disciples and there's not disciples. See, we can see Christ and go, I want what you've got. I need you to do a miracle and turn me into this person of, of faith. I need you to do a miracle and turn me into this great thing. And Jesus says, look, I can do, I can do these things, but I want to train you. I want to equip you. I want to establish revelation in you so that when the pressure comes on, when the stress comes on, you have self-control. He wants to enlarge you. He wants to, he wants to shift you. He wants to, he wants to encourage you. So how do we add it? We have clear direction, like a race. A race establishes focus, it establishes vi- or vision. The good thing about being in a race is it actually takes you out of all the other races. You know, just, you know when you're young and there's, there's, this, there's this concept called choice anxiety, isn't there? There's just too many options. The beautiful thing about choosing a race, choosing a career, choosing a husband or a wife, choosing a church, choosing, a, choosing where you're going to live, is what it does is it, is it takes all of the other options off the table and you don't have to worry about them anymore. It keeps you and then you get to focus on what you're called to focus on. 1 Corinthians 9.25, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Let me say this, self-control without a race is like going to the gym and getting huge muscles but not actually having anything to lift when you get home from the gym. You see these big monsters who come out of the gym, they're big guys like this, you know, and then they go to work and they work in the office. (laughs) Pick up that fountain pen, fantastic, you know what I mean? See, it's nice, to, it's nice to have self-control, but it's nicer when your self-control is attached to purpose. It's nice when you can bench press 170 kilos that you actually need to do that every now and then. You know what I mean? When you actually go, hang on a second, there's an accident, I'm going to climb into the car and just push it off. You know what I mean? That's what I do. I lift cars for people. 
God wants, he doesn't want, you know, there's, there's some amazingly self-controlled Christians in the world whose lives are, are, are phenomenally diligent in doing, doing good and, and reading their Bible every day and, 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 and God's saying, hey, it's time to lift something with those muscles because self-control without a goal creates boring Christian. We don't want boring Christians. We want Christians who are headed somewhere, who are in society. It's no point having, having the spirit of the living God within you if you're not in the world leaking that spirit of God out. This is the God that we serve. This is the call on your life. This is why you can have self-control. This is why you want self-control. And then like Paul, at the end of your life you say this. You say, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Self-control is not the goal. It's a building block toward a goal. It's not about, you know, it's, it's, it's not about squashing desire. It's about harnessing desire it's not about being owned by your emotions it's owning your emotions it's contemplated action not reaction you see our goal is not to to squash the life that was in us to be self-controlled the goal is to is to establish our lives around a goal and see that desires and emotions and and actions are 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 gifts from God, but as we as we focus them, as we focus them on a goal or a vision, they actually they actually serve us. They don't control us. See, it's not in our effort, but in this divine exchange that we have as we set goals and visions within the great goal of that prayer out of Matthew. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. So when you set a goal, does it fit inside his kingdom and his will? If it does, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go well. If it does, then when the self-control and the stress and the pressure comes, you're going to be ready to walk in that journey. First level humility says this. It says, I need help. And we see Jesus as help. Next level humility says this. It says, I am a new creation in Christ. I am a new creation. You are a new creation. So no longer are you trying to solve the old man. You're trying to attach yourself to the living God. So our our request of God is, Lord, give me a revelation of you. Give me a revelation of your will. Why doesn't the band jump up? Today, we simply do this. We simply seek the knowledge of Christ. We seek the knowledge of Christ that we may become strengthened in our resolve. What are the goals that you want to set? The Lord wants you to do amazing things. You see, here's the, the, only, the, here's the qualifier. As you, as you get the second revelation of who God is, you've still got the old man who needs things from him. You're still going to need things. There's still brokenness. You're still following him. You get this revelation which shifts your goal setting. And as you shift your goal setting, then, then you know, you, those things get tidied up at the same time, don't they? It's about taking your focus off self and putting your focus on him. He says, if you seek 
first my kingdom and my righteousness, I will actually take care of all those things. The battle is that when we meet Christ, we generally meet him when we discover our brokenness. And then we transition. The next question that we need to ask God is, Lord, give me a revelation of you. Give me a revelation of your will. Give me a revelation of direction. Lord, how can I lead my family? How can I be influential in my job? How can I step into that space? How can I run my race with certainty? See, Peter says, be diligent in these things. Be diligent in adding to your faith. But then he says at the end of it, he says, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. You see, we need to be diligent in the little things, but we need to be even more diligent that he is on the throne. He is on the throne, but is he on the throne of who you're following? Is he, is he the God who is leading you? Is he, is he, he may be your saviour, but is he your Lord? Is he your king? This is a question. Why don't you stand with me this morning? God has called each of us by his word, by his providence, by his creation, by his spirit. He's called us to repentance, to faith, to a new obedience. This is the call of God. And as we accept that call, as we accept what his word says, as we accept the leading of the spirit, as we accept what what creation's calling out, the glory of we accept those things and become obedient to him, we make our calling and election sure. You see, what's more important than your self-control is what your self-control is serving. What is it serving in your life? The major goal is this, your will, your glory, your plan, your invisible attributes visible through my life. Your leading, your righteousness. Self-control is established in your major commitment to the King of all kings. But it's tested and lived out through your day-to-day commitments, family, friends, work, adventures, evangelism, making disciples, these, these, the, 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 the commitments that sit under that major commitment of giving him all the glory and all the praise. Father, We seek a new revelation of you this morning. We seek a greater understanding of your identity, Father. Lord, we thank you that you can supply all our needs. And you do, Father. We thank you for that. But today, Father, we want to know your will. We want to know who you are. We want that revelation that Peter got. We want to go from wavering reeds to rocks who understand that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Lord, we read those words, but pierce our hearts with that revelation so that we may declare it first to ourselves and second to those around us, Father. We want to be people of power and authority and of self-control who can hit the race, Lord. We can run the race in a manner that we may win. This morning, I just want to ask one question. We're going to open the floor. If you want to, if you want to stand after this prayer, if you want to stand and, and say, today I want a deeper revelation of God, I'd love to pray with you this morning. If you want to go from wavering reed to rock, I'd love to stand with you and pray with you this morning for that revelation to come.